Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey guys, welcome to another podcast. This is Kelly Higdon, and today I am joined with Dr. Tanisha Sapp. I am so thrilled to introduce you to her. She and I have known each other for years online, and this is our first time chatting in person, which I know may sound strange, but this is happening more and more that you develop community and connection with people across the globe, and then you get to do things like invite them on the podcast to share their knowledge, and she has a lot of it. So turn up the volume and let's get started. Welcome, Tanisha. I like to call you Dr. T. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Dr. T is fine. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know Dr. T, uh, she owns three businesses. She is a group practice owner. She also owns Authentic Connection Institute, which provides... Um, continuing education around ethics in the state of Georgia, as well as her own LLC, which provides business coaching and consultation. You're busy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And the original reason why I brought you on here, but I know our conversation is going to develop, was to talk about social media and ethics, because this is something that you teach a lot on. And I know you consult with a lot of therapists who are in practice. And I, I just love your fresh take and your voice on this topic. And I thought it'd be really helpful for our community to learn from you. So thank you for being willing to subject yourself to my, (laughs) my inquiries. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Social media is, is huge. Um, It was big for us uh, as I went through with my own social media accounts and I started to see a lot of things uh, that were questionable. And what happened for me is I started to feel like I was the ethics police. Uh, I was the person who would back channel people and say, oh, you might want to remove that. Oh, you might not want to say that. Oh, Oh, don't post that. Um, be mindful what you say, just not just in your personal on your personal page, but also what you may post in groups, secret groups, p- private groups, public groups, any type of group. Um, and I found that I was spending a lot of my time on that alone. So I thought, hmm, let me see what I can develop from that. I'm using all the skills, giving away all these wisdom nuggets for free. Mm-hmm. And then um, from there, I, I thought about the ethical pieces of that and looked around to see what sorts of training um, was available for clinicians out there, what was happening in my own state as well as what information was out there, uh, just article-wise and and things of of that nature. And then I thought about the fact that ethics is usually dull and boring. (laughs) Yes. People dread taking those ethics CEs. So I wanted to make sure that I offered my personality. So um, I wanted to have something fun, lively, 
what I call pee in your pants, exciting, um, <laughs> jumping off the tables, back flips. If I knew how to do one, I just wanted loud, rambunctious fun so that when people come back, they can say, heck yeah, we had a good time. Um, nobody falls asleep and yeah. you know, here it is. I, I had something that I could take away from this. What do you love about social media personally and then on the professional side? Uh, personally, I enjoy being able to connect with friends, family, and colleagues that I wouldn't necessarily be able to connect with, uh, over the phone or in person just because of distance, maybe because of time differences. And for the fact that I I sit and talk with people all day, I really don't want to talk with you after hours. Mm -hmm. So being on the internet allows me to kind of continue my little introvert self, um, but to also connect though. Mm -hmm. And then how how have you used it in your business? Professionally, I enjoy connecting with my colleagues in the same concept of building those relationships. Um, I enjoy having the groups and being able to respond, answer multiple questions, or even ask my own questions. Um, and be able to build those referral bases or referral resources even with people in different states and even with people within my same state. Um, And sometimes even using that referral basis on the aspect of getting client referrals as well. So a mutual referral system can be established sometimes as well. I mean, that's how we met. And... (laughs) And to me, you're very authentic. Like I can hear your voice and the way you write is how you, how you speak. It's, it's, you put it all out there basically. Like you get who you are, you know? And, and, and I think too, like your presence has, it's one of the reasons why I reached out because I was like, oh, she's doing this. So being seen and being visible allows people to know all the different facets of you. Do you ever feel like it gets a little blurry between personal and professional online? I think that that's something that comes up a lot for therapists of, I have a personal account and a professional account and, you know, all these kinds of things. And what I see you doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. You are a professional who has a personal life and it's not necessarily like, in the professional world, we do this. And then in the personal world, we do this. But it seems kind of the same across the board. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. So you're, you're right. So I, when I started out in social media, I was one of those people who wanted a completely personal page and a completely separate professional page and, um, and a professional page for each Uh, business entity. And I still have those professional pages for the different entities. Um, But my personal page feeds all of those. Um, And my my personal page is very, it's calculated. It's intentional. It is, um, it's a blend. It's a blend of personal and professional from the standpoint of seeing that you're right. I am a professional, but I'm also human. Mm -hmm. So what you see is what you get. 
I will say ain't. I will say gone. We not going to do that. Um, right. I will I will use my wonderful slang and southern accent, although I am a, a Jersey girl. Mm. Um, you will see different pieces of me, but you're, and you'll see those authentic and unfiltered pieces, but you're also going to see there's a, there's a limit, right? Of so course. there's a limit to what I am willing to share. Uh, and I think that's across the board with, with anyone. Oh yes. However, um, I recognize, and I'm, I'm very picky about who I allow into my personal page as mm-hmm. well. Everybody can't get in. So I do not have potential therapy clients on my personal. Sure. Account. So. So when you teach ethics, what is, what is your heart behind it? What is your, ho- I know about making the training itself amazing, but what do you want people to walk away really understanding the, like what's the transformation you want them to experience around this topic? My biggest thing that I think I repeat throughout the entire training is always protect your license, (laughs) protect your license, protect your coins, Um, because without your license, you can't do anything. So at the end of the day, we're protecting the license. And so having that's the whole purpose behind all of the ethical trainings that we may do, especially with social media, is protecting your license. Mm-hmm. One of the things we teach in boot camp is um, you don't have to have social media as part of your marketing, but you do have to have a plan around it because even if you didn't have accounts, people can create accounts or reviews on all the social media platforms and things like that. What are some of the things that therapists can do to protect their license when it comes to social media, whether or not they're big on Facebook or Instagram and those things? Um, One of the biggest things, just like you said, that we talk about in in that aspect of, of protecting and guarding is to put, like you said, a social media policy in place, even if you're not on social media perfectly good example is making sure that you put that in your informed consent. Uh, You put a social media policy. And that's actually one of the things that we go through at the end of the training is writing a social media policy for your practice, or at least getting a nice, a nice draft together and then consulting with an attorney to make sure that you are on par with whatever the rules are for your state um, and, and the rules for your ethical code. So understanding what your codes say and integrating those pieces. And if you are on social media, state those things that you will do or won't do. For example, um, I let my clients know you are free to follow any public page because that's public information. That's not a secret. You're going to find it. It's not it is what it is. There's just outgoing information, but I also disable any messaging components mm-hmm. so that you cannot send me a message. Um, and I let them know that no clinical 
responses will occur on those uh, public forums. And on a lot of my social media accounts, I have an automatic response set up to let them know that this is a in that this is not a monitored mailbox and no clinical information will be discussed on this uh, messenger. And I don't even respond or manage that. So that that way it's very clear 100%. And it's a a disclaimer in every piece of of social media, from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter. Now I'm not on Twitter or any of those other social media platforms, but I talk about how you can set those up and even have a step-by-step guide that we give for how you can set those things up to make sure that you have good privacy settings as well as having those automatic responses. What do you think are some of the common fears that you see clinicians have around social media? Um, (laughs) the biggest thing that comes up is we're going to, people are going to know my personal life. Mm. (laughs) And I always say, if someone wants to find you, they can, (laughs) if they want to spend their time to look that hard to find you, they can, there's nothing you can do to stop that. Um, and so they'll talk about either not having a social media or just being private. And I let them know, even though you may not have a Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you have posted something. If you have LinkedIn, if you have a Gmail account, if you have a Google account, you have posted something somewhere. If you participated in a listserv, there's something out there. And if people really want to find it, they will. Mm-hmm. So all you can do is make sure that you put your safeguards in place. And if you have done your due diligence, then it doesn't matter what happens thereafter. You're protected because you've done what you can do. What do you think that fear is about, though? It's interesting because I've seen that, too. And it's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's a sense of being naked. We're supposed to be therapists and we're, they're not supposed to know anything about us because that's what we were taught in grad school. Right. Your clients don't need to know anything about you. So make sure you don't have any personal trinkets in your office, nothing to say that you have a family, nothing to say that you have children, nothing about your social life. And what I found is that when I presented like that to my clients, I looked like a zombie (laughs) and it didn't allow them to be authentic. But when I showed up as my authentic self, my clients were their authentic selves. I think too, the other aspect of that is the, the vulnerability and maybe being seen as like not liked or we did, we messed up. And I think it's important that we fail forward and we are going to mess up. We may have made a comment somewhere that we shouldn't have made. We own it and we move on and we change moving forward. And our clients, same things. You're going to do intervention sometimes that it wasn't the right thing to do. Or maybe you said something in a way that you could have said it better and you own it. So I think 
it's an opportunity actually therapeutically. If, Mm -hmm. if a client were to really dig and see something and have an opinion about it, then you could work, work through it to help them kind of like, what do you do when people fail you or you're disappointed or you thought somebody was something that they're not, or Mm -hmm. I think it's all grist for the mill. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a learning, it's a learning curve. It's a learning opportunity, but I like exactly what you said about uh, failing forward and things that you may have said before, but you may see differently now, or you may do differently now. I certainly hope so. My gosh, if (laughs) if I go back 10 years and I'm still saying the same things. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) let's hope we've grown some. (laughs) Oh yeah. But, but then The cool part about that, too, is you can learn from other people. So how would you know if you didn't share? If you only shared with the select few people, you're only going to have knowledge based on those select few people. But with social media, you have a whole slew of additional people. I won't say the whole world, but you have a good amount of additional people who can give you their 12 different perspectives, or even if we look at a comment that uh, a post that may have 200 comments, 200 different perspectives, and you can say, okay, I can take some of this into account, or this is just way off and not anywhere near where I think I should be or where I'm trying to go. So you can kind of look at that and even grow from those responses. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. It It takes discernment. I think that's something that's needed in social media, discerning what to keep and what to let go of, you know, what to say thank you and move on from, you know, um, I see that a lot in Facebook forums and things like that. Yes. What do you think therapists should be afraid of and are not thinking about when it comes to social media? Um, I will. So I'll start with my most recent power differentials. Uh, So recently I've seen, um, I've seen pictures of clients on social media and a nice disclaimer posted with permission. And I'm screaming, no, I don't care if they said you can post this. There's a power differential here. You are in a position of power and you have just violated every ethical code. And it's those little things that, yes, this may be a great thing, whether it's a picture of a client, a picture of a group, or um, a picture of a... um, a picture of artwork or something like that, and or a picture of a gift. Um, no matter how big or how small, it's still a power differential. And I think sometimes we just don't stop to think about that for a mm. second because mm. we're so caught up in the in the goodness of it, and it's wonderful. But posting it before you go to post on social media, asking that question: Does it violate? Is this a possible? possible ethical violation. Um. Hey, it's Kelly. Are you enjoying today's episode? There is so much more to starting your private practice. That's why we created Business School for Therapists. It's our lifetime access business building program 
created especially for you and all the future stages of practice that you are going to go through. If you're ready to join a community that supports you, that to have access to a massive library of private practice trainings covering everything from creating your vision to setting your fee to getting you legally covered and more, this is for you. Simply go to bit.ly slash therapist business school to get started. Other things are uh, just making sure that we're not talking about clients on social media, period. So my rule of thumb to everyone is if it starts with, I have a client who, scrap it. (laughs) Now you can change that and say, hey, looking for this for a 30-year-old female with blah, blah, blah. There's no identification. There's no information. No one knows if that's a client, if that's something that you are asking generically. And even then, I would caution that um, because even that is too descriptive. So maybe working with a female with this, um, if you're choosing to ask those questions in a social media forum, um, then limiting anything that may possibly be identifying. So from that that extreme to another extreme of, so I just finished my first two clients of the day and here's what happened and giving a rundown. Well, um, yeah, you just violated every ethical code. If I really, if I really wanted to, I could go back and look at all your previous posts between this place where this may be posted in your personal account and figure out where you work, um, what time you work, and then go through and just call and figure out if that person is a client there. And hopefully I get the right person on the phone at your practice at the right time who doesn't even make sure that, <laughs> that they're not disclosing information. Mm-hmm. And boom, now I've, I know everything possible to uh, screenshots of EHR <laughs> information with appointments and clients' names. Although the initials may be blurred out, you've screenshot your whole... Um, So those are things that I I don't think we really sit and just take a moment before posting. And I think to um, what I, to pair what you said, the joy of social media is that we get to connect, which means you may be in an area where there isn't a therapist who is specialized in something that you need to consult on. You can have access to a therapist that, that, is, you know, but take it offline. You know, this sort of thing of it's exciting. And then we don't slow our role to say, how do I do this in the most ethical way? And I love what you said too, about considering the power differential. I think it's also a power differential for you to just go post in a group about someone's case because the client said, sure, you can ask for resources in that group. I've seen that happen. You know, Mm -hmm. where someone said, client gave me permission to post in this group. No, 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 I don't care. (laughs) You know, those kinds of things. The client doesn't No, It's yes. They don't fully understand and it's just not fair. So, I love that you can connect with so many resources, but like you said, posting in a very broad way, 
Like I have a female who's struggling, you know, I need a consult on this diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I need someone who's an expert in this relational dynamic that I can consult with. Mm -hmm. It's so broad. And then you take it offline, not in Facebook Messenger or chat. Yes. (laughs) Get on the phone or you do your VC and your doxy me or whatever. And you have your consultation that you pay for because you respect your professional colleague and you pay them for their time. So those are good things to think about. I really, yeah. And here's, so you, you raised a good point about, um, respecting your colleagues time because mm. what one of the things that I hear a lot that comes up with that is well I just asked for a clinical consult yeah you did but let that be your colleague's choice to say oh no you don't have to worry about that with me let that be their choice yes you sometimes I think we end up assuming that um, this is just standard and some things may, if you have built that authentic relationship, um, some things may be just standard practice and some things are not, but let's not assume that that is standard practice without having first built that relationship with our colleagues or, or otherwise. That's how we contribute to the field. I think. Yes. In one of our webinars, we talk about like, how we speak about money and practice and how we talk about other people, we can either lift our field up or we can trash it. And if you want to be valued, it starts with you valuing others too. So I think, you know, and that also applies in social media land, you know, how we talk to each other, the way things are written always can sound very, very different. Yes. than how we say it, you know, sometimes. Yes. So that's why it's good to take conversations out of the social media f- sphere and actually have a face-to-face yes. um, and those kinds of things. Even what? if it's a virtual face-to-face. Yes. <laughs> I I would love to come to it to Georgia someday, but it's not going to happen. So we're going to do it this way. And that's, that's good too. That's the beauty yeah. of technology. I think... Um, There was something else I wanted to ask you about. Oh, in terms of, you know, when you're consulting with therapists and you talked about like how you felt like you were starting to police. Mm -hmm. I think, how do you coach me through? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the line of just saying, I let it go. Like when you're seeing it happen out there, um, how do you handle it? Do you know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. you can get pretty consumed. Now I've told you, I blocked my Facebook feed and I don't go into a lot of groups. I just, it'll suck my, my, I go into a time warp and then, you know, I just can't in order to get everything done. I want to get done. So, mm-hmm. but for those that do love that, how do you cope with that? You turned it into a business. <laughs> and start teaching, but what is your advice for other therapists? Um, so I talk about that piece as far as self-care and mm. what that looks like. Um, for me, and I always share my personal journey uh, because I'm an, il- <laughs> I'm an illustrative educator. <laughs> so I do a lot of illustrative learning uh, 
things. But um, one of the things for me was to just look at where, what was a time waster for me? One, just like you said, but also how was I feeling? If it got to a point where I was getting angry and I had to sit back and evaluate, this is their social media. This is not mine. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I didn't write this. So who really owns this problem? Mm. I don't own this problem. So I had to step away. And to be honest, I also had to remove myself from certain groups uh, when it got to a point that this was an everyday, all day occurrence. Um, Mm -hmm. And people were not receptive to feedback. Another piece, uh, even after saying something to an admin or something like that. And then another piece to that was also if there were some people who were posting things, maybe it's outside of a group, but maybe it's just in my timeline or in my newsfeed or something like that. Using that wonderful snooze or block <laughs> uh, feature, uh, I think that was that's super important. So you can snooze someone, you can block them, you can remove, you can unfollow them, you can you can choose to remain friends with them because maybe you like them, but you just don't really like their posts. <laughs> you can remove their posts from your newsfeed. So there are tons of different ways, like you did. You can block your newsfeed. There's tons of different ways that you can work through all of that so that your space is, is pure and your space looks like what you need it to be mm. so that you can thrive as a person and as a clinician of whatever that looks like for you without shaming someone else. I like that. That's helpful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) So you also coach therapists in building their practices and I'm sure social media ethics is one of the things that comes up, but what is your, cause I know you work with lots of other business owners, like not just therapists, but what do you love about working with therapists? I love seeing them implement the things that we discuss, getting out of that fear space. Um, And that moment when they say, I listened to you and look what happened. And I'm like, really? Say it ain't so. (laughs) I always say, can you tell my husband that? (laughs) I might know something. (laughs) Not much, but a little something. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I think there's just so much value you bring just in your experience. And I mean, in the clinical side of things, you're, you have your niche and you have your group practice as well. So you come from your own personal experience, but I'm hopeful. And I know that people listening today can get a glimpse of just your kindness and your joy about life. Like I appreciate your joy, like to have an ethics training that you want people to do backflips in. I think that's (laughs) a great goal. You know? Yeah. So if people want to find you, there's lots of ways to do that, but how's, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you and to learn more about how you help therapists in private practice and the ethics trainings as well. So my social media handles, um, I have two on Instagram. Well, I have three on Instagram, but the the biggest ones are um, I am Dr. Tanisha Sapp, 
and um, Dr. Tanisha Sapp. So there's two, one that starts with I am and one that doesn't. Okay. Um, those are on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's I am Dr. Tanisha Sapp. And then uh, there's Tanisha Sapp LLC, which is also on Facebook. So um, those are the social media handles and then websites. We have um, yourauthenticconnection.com and uh, tanishasap.com. So super excited. Those are uh, the probably my most fun places. <laughs> so if someone is listening and they feel like anxious or nervous about anything related to social media, what's the one thing you want them to know? Before posting anything, ask <laughs> if it was, if it showed up in court or if someone screenshot this, would I be okay with that? I like that yes. because it will be screenshot. And yes. I lots of stories about that and you don't want that. I've had people lose their jobs over screenshots. Yes. Licenses. Licenses. I pulled up a story where someone lost their license. Um, even, you know, down to the person, the nurse who wrote, uh, who delivered Cardi B's baby. And she posted about, um, about having, I'm sorry, she didn't deliver, her brother delivered it, but her brother told her, which was a violation of confidentiality. Um, and so she posted that yeah. Cardi B had just delivered the baby and it went viral, of course, because a high profile person and the hospital, yes, and brother lost his job. Um, down to social workers losing licenses because of posting something or talking or venting on social media about a, about a client and not the person who posted, but someone who responded, um, also got calls before the board because they responded to that yeah. post. So also being mindful of responding to possible violations um, on social media, because those things can be screenshot as well, no matter how private, no matter if, even if you delete something, you yeah. don't know if someone screenshot it before you got a chance to delete it. And Facebook deletes nothing. Yeah. And Twitter and Instagram are both owned by Facebook. <laughs> so nothing is gone. Right. And I, I'll just add to that to overcome the fear you do it with knowledge and yes. implementation of that knowledge. And that's why it's good to learn from people like Dr. T about social media ethics. So please check her out. Send her lots of love. She does amazing work. Thank you for being here. Thank I really you. appreciate it. And we'll have to do this again sometime. Sure. <laughs> All right, you guys, um, please share this podcast post in the blog. If you want, share it on social media, tag, uh, Dr. Tanisha Sapp as well. And myself, let's spread the word because the change starts with us and th there's nothing to be afraid of. We just want to do things with high ethical standards and with great client care and also, in a way that makes us better clinicians. So yes. we'll see you in the social media world. Yes. I hope you loved today's episode. 
If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.